Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you're checking out at the grocery store, you might have some conversation with the cashier, but it's often the minimum, especially if you're in a hurry, running out to just grab some things for supper, and if you still do use a human checkout, sometimes you can exchange very few words. It's all very impersonal, usually. Or if you go through a drive through it's even more impersonal because there's this little box and this disembodied voice comes out of it and you give your list of requests and you pull up to the window and some things are thrust into your hands and off you go. You got what you wanted. Or you can call a large corporation and be in that labyrinth, which is the, the telephone customer service. And you can wait for an awfully long time with that bad quality music playing over and over and over, and you can be frustrated perhaps, and the longer you wait, the more frustrated you get. And, and when you finally do speak to someone, they're just a voice who represents this huge, uncaring, indifferent, frustrating corporation. And sometimes it's easy for us to forget that we're speaking with a human being because we don't have a relationship and so these examples that I've just given, the contact is transactional. It's impersonal. Now, there was a great danger that God's people in the routine of daily prayer pray that way. The cold, routine, transactional, an impersonal way where we dash off the prayer because we've got to eat, the food's getting cold. Or we dash off the prayer because we've got to run and make our commitment for the next activity. The Lord Jesus Christ, as he teaches us how to pray, first of all teaches us that we need to know who we're talking to. We're talking to our Father, and bundled up in that word Father is the concept of relationship and intimacy and love and commitment. We are talking to someone who cares, who cares deeply about us. How deeply does he care? Well, Look at Good Friday just a few days ago. He cares so much for us. God so loved the world that he gave up his only begotten son, his dearly beloved son, for us. Now, if God is willing to give up his own dearly beloved son for us, is there anything that he would not do for us. And so Jesus teaches us to come to the Father with a childlike reverence and trust toward God, which should be basic to our prayer. Because that childlike reverence and trust is, in fact, something which ought to be basic to all of life in the kingdom. What does the Scripture say? Luke chapter 18, 17, Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
Now, who can approach God as a child approaches his father? Well, obviously, only the children of God. The Scripture teaches us, Paul writes this to the Ephesians, for instance, that by nature we are children of wrath. By nature we are enemies of God. And outside of Christ, it is impossible to know God as Father and to pray to God as Father. But the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed that. It changed that in a remarkable way. In the Old Testament, we have a handful of references to God as Father. The, the concept is there, but it's distance. It's, it's, it's very rare. But the New Testament is chock full of all kinds of references to God the Father. And we in the Catechism confess the scriptural truth that God has become our Father through Christ. Something changed radically at the coming, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord. It changed our relationship to God. What does the scripture say? John chapter 1 verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 tells us this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Now, often that verse is understood in the following way. That look how loving God is. He's calling us his children. Isn't that so loving of him? But I think it goes deeper than that. See what kind of love the Father has given us in order that we should be called children of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the apostle says that God has poured his love into our hearts. He's poured himself into our hearts. He's come into our hearts by his Spirit. And when God dwells in us by his Spirit, then we have living in us the same Holy Spirit who lives in the Lord Jesus. When God himself dwells in us and we dwell in him, then that love changes us from being children of wrath into being children of God. That is who we are. Now, we read Galatians chapter 4, and Galatians chapter 4 reminds us that in the old dispensation under the law, we were little better off than slaves. But then what happened? When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's that change again between the old dispensation and the new dispensation. In the old dispensation, the Holy Spirit lived in the Holy of Holies in the midst of God's people. He worked in people's hearts and lives, but his presence was in the Holy of Holies. In the new dispensation, the temple is the church. The temple is each believer. 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so we are no longer slaves, but sons. And if sons, then heirs through God. What does that mean? Well, it means that because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are children of God. We are heirs of the kingdom. We are crown princes and princesses. And we, we have full access to come into the presence of the Father because the king of the universe is our father. And who will stop the sons and daughters of the king of kings from coming into his presence? Who can stop them? No one. We can come to him at any time. We can ask him for anything we need to fulfill our calling for his kingdom and his power and his glory. And so when we understand who we are, children of God, when we understand who God is, he is our Father who loves us in Christ. Then that changes the way we pray. Now, we are not praying to a businessman or a bank manager or an investment manager in the sky, and we, we don't come to God negotiating. I invested so many hours of Bible reading and prayer, and I did so many good works. And so now, I would, after having made all these investments, God, I would like to make a withdrawal. I would like some return on my spiritual investment. So now I want you to give me this or give me that, because I've given you these other things. I went to so many Bible studies, I spent so many hours in prayer. That's not how it works, because that's not who we're praying to. Neither are we praying to a deaf idol. You remember our children, Elijah and the prophets there of Baal on Mount Carmel, and how the prophets of, of Baal, they screamed, the priests of Baal, they screamed and they jumped around for hours and they, they cut themselves to get his attention. And nothing worked. And then finally, Elijah simply kneels and simply prays a simple prayer with confidence and with reverence. Now, if Elijah could do that, how much more can we do that? Because we know God as Father in a way far deeper than Elijah could ever have imagined. We know God as our Father in Christ. And so we can come to the Father with full confidence. Now, our confession points us to Matthew chapter 7, the verses 7 through to 11, where the Lord Jesus instruct us, instructs us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Why will he do it? Because he loves you. And he desires your well-being. And he delights in, 
hearing you and giving you what you need as you live in his kingdom and his power and his glory. And he is not just willing to hear your prayer and to answer your prayer, but he is able because he runs the universe. Your father runs the universe. He has total, absolute, sovereign control over the movement of every tiny particle. He makes the galaxy spin. He directs the movement of every dollar and cent in the world economy. And so that changes the way we live and we pray. You look at Matthew chapter 6, for instance, where the Lord Jesus tells us, in view of these truths, how we ought to think about life. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the Lord Jesus instructs us to be in peace when it comes to our needs, knowing that our sovereign, all-powerful, loving Father runs the universe. And so we can pray to him with supreme confidence. And at the same time, the catechism draws our attention to the fact that the Lord Jesus instructs us to address God not just as our Father, but our Father in heaven. So together with that confidence that Father inspires there is a reverence inspired by that little addition in heaven. He is our Father, but He's not just any kind of Father. He is our Father in heaven. He is exalted. He dwells in unapproachable light. This is what the Scripture says, Jer Jeremiah 23, verse 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. And so he is a glorious, awe-inspiring Father. So glorious, so high, so exalted, so awe-inspiring that throughout the centuries, many Christians have felt scared to come near to him. They've had so much fear and reverence for God that they don't dare to pray directly to him. And so the Roman church has taught 
believers that they must pray to, to God through Mary or through the saints. We've lost sight of the fact that God is our Father in Christ. I think today in our day-to-day contact with people around us, we will perhaps not meet that problem so much. I think perhaps we meet the opposite problem in broad evangelical Christianity, where instead of there being too much fear and reverence, there's hardly any. And so you have in cool Christianity, where people pray to Jesus like their buddy, and they pray to Big Daddy in the sky, and they try to make God really cool and really relational. And sometimes you hear people saying, well, that's what Abba means. Abba means daddy. It's true that Abba is a form of address used by little children in Aramaic. But it certainly doesn't mean daddy because it's also a form of address used by adults towards their fathers in Aramaic. It is a term of deep intimacy and profound respect. And the best translation into English for the verb, the word Abba, would be the word Father. So before we pray, let's stop to reflect. Who are we talking to? The biblical pattern of prayer is that we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and in the Spirit. We pray to the Father through the Son, in the name of the Son, and in the Spirit. God is not some uncaring, impersonal force that we need to try to plead with by using the Son and the Spirit to try to influence Him to reluctantly give us what we need. It's not as though we're praying through Jesus and in the Spirit because God is so cold and distant and and we need the Son and the Spirit to intercede for us to to try and get Him against His will to to help us out. No, what does the Lord Jesus say there in, in in, in John chapter 16? which we read, the Lord Jesus said, the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. God answers our prayers because he loves us, because we're his children, and he delights to hear us and give us what we need to serve him. And so at the beginning of this section of the Catechism, as we deal with the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded that we as God's children ought not to settle for boring and repetitive, rote, routine prayers. Don't settle for the rushed one-liners tossed off before we scoff down our food. Don't interact with the Father the way that you exchange obligatory polite pleasantries with the cashier at Walmart. But stop. And focus, reflect, who am I speaking to? Come to the Father. Pour out your soul to him. Ask him for all the things that you need for body and soul. Because he loves you. He will answer you. And so you can come with confidence, 
and you can come with reverence because he will incline his ear to you and provide for you. If you but let the Father guide you, relying on his faithfulness, he will be evermore beside you in all your sorrow and distress. He who on God most high depends builds not his house on shifting sands. Amen.